Red State DVD and Blu-ray pre-orders are available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Pre-order Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com. Smirch alert, smirch alert, motherfucker, smirch alert. Go to smodcast.com slash smerchandise to get your official Jay and Silent Bob iPhone 4 cases from Casemate. Choose from three different snoogerific designs. We got soft ones and hard ones. Hey, I'm talking about the cases, bitch. All emblazoned with your favorite Smodco icons, Jay and Silent Bob. Snag your iPhone 4 case for $39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash smerchandise yo Canada Jay and Silent Bob are gonna be royally mounting you December 7th in Vancouver December 8th Edmonton December 9th Calgary December 10th Saskatoon and December 11th Winnipeg their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com slash get old in Canada. Hey, Eldborg, Iceland. On November 11th, Kevin Smith will be inside you. Kev is bringing his famous Q&A to Eldborg Main Hall, talking movies, comics, sex, taking a shit, whatever you want to ask about. Hilarity will ensue. Kevin Smith, live at the Eldborg Main Hall in Eldborg, Iceland, on November 11th. Links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Yo, Philly, guess who's coming to the city of brotherly love? Hollywood motherfucking Babylon, bitch. Come get your celebrity news, rumors, and Liam Neeson's cock jokes at the World Cafe Live with Kevin and Ralph on Monday, October 17th. Top that steak sandwich with cheese whiz, showbiz, and comedy jizz. Mmm, tasty. Catch Hollywood Babylon at the World Cafe Live in Philadelphia on October 17th. Tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Kevin Smith is bringing his big bucket of win Q&A show deep in the heart of Texas. September 27th at the Paramount Theater in Austin. Even better, they're going to be filming all you motherfuckers for a special presentation on Epics. Whether you want to know about Clerks, Red State, Hit Somebody, or Eating His Wife's Ass, don't miss Kevin Smith at the Paramount Theater in Austin on September 27th. Tickets on sale now at austintheater.org. Hey, Baston. Jay and Silent Bob are coming to raid your fridge, smoke your weed, and make you laugh hysterically while they do it. How do you like them apples? Friday, October 7th at the Wilbur Theater. Catch Jay and Silent Bob get old. Grab your tickets now by clicking on the link at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck.
Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Yo, Red Bank, New Jersey. Jay and Silent Bob are gonna snooch to your motherfucking nooch. I don't even know what that means. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater on October 8th. Special guest, tell them Steve Day. Get your tickets at CountBasieTheater.org. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Count Basie Theater, October 8th in Red Bank. Word. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get CD-quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast. Where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. Going to New York Comic Con in October? Well, Jay and Silent Bob are giving you one more reason to fangasm. Uh, you might want to clean that up. Friday, October 14th at the IGN Theater. Catch a live performance of the popular podcast, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Dust off that Batman costume that's three sizes too small. Or, fuck it, don't wear a costume. Just wear some type of clothing, because, you know, you don't want to get arrested. And get ready to enjoy a thick layer of gooey comedy jizz with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, live in New York. October 14th at the IGN Theater. Tickets on sale now. For more info, go to csmod.com. Hey, what's going on? Matt Cohen here. You guys want to hear a story? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was I was at Golden Apple Comics, like always, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, picking up my books for the week. They have they have the best books, Golden Apple Comics. You can check them out at goldenapplecomics.com if you're not in the Hollywood area. But anyway, um, and I apologize if I sound a little somber, but this is an emotional tale. Uh, I was at Golden Apple Comics, and I, I got my, my comic books as always. I got, a, I got a couple great trade paperbacks and a few really cool t-shirts and even a little uh, Hellboy minibus statue, which they had there. They have the greatest selection of all that kind of stuff. And um, I had my books, and the really friendly staff wished me on my way. And um, in the parking lot, uh, I was about to get in my car when I was accosted by by a a group of miscreants is the best way I could describe them. They they were young and they were rowdy and um and I was scared and and 
Uh, they pulled out uh, jack knives and and Mac knives and all kinds of different knives and demanded demanded my money and my comic books. And I was like, "Look, you can have my money, but I'm I'm keeping I'm keeping this Golden Apple comics bag. You 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 have to pry those away from my cold dead hands, Charlton Heston." And the guy was like, "I'm not Charlton Heston." And I was like, "I know it'd be weird if you were, because you'd be dead." And that would take this to a whole different place because I'd be getting robbed by a dead person and it would still suck, but it would be kind of cool because I would know ghosts exist. Anyway, I was getting robbed and, and they were like, give me your money and you're ugly and you used ugly shoes. And I was like, leave me alone. And they're like, no, your car is stupid. And I was like, no, my car is not stupid. And they're like, yeah, it is. Your car is stupid. Give us money in the comic books. And I was like, no, I will not. Take everything but the comics. And they were like, alright, we'll do that. And I was like, no, on second thought, don't take anything. That sounds horrible. Leave me be, man. I, I need a hero, is what I thought at the moment. I was like, I need a hero at the end of the night. And you know what? Golden Apple Comics saved my life. Uh, the entire staff of the store came out and, uh, they were wielding prop replicas of of famous comic book weapons and uh and and without even without even touching these these offenders because that would be illegal they scared them away and made loud noises like they're as if you were shooing a bear they were like hur, 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 hur. you know that that scares kids away if, if, oh i gave i'm not saying they were kids but all i'm saying is if anyone's ever trying to rob you apparently what the fine staff at golden apple comics taught me is you get a um a molinor rep replica and you go who 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 and they saved my life so not only did i get comic books and awesome trade paperbacks and t-shirts and a statue at golden apple comics last wednesday i got a life saving folks i don't think i have to say anything more than that golden apple comics what other comic book store will literally save your life <sighs> goldenapplecomics.com check them out they're the dreamiest And welcome to Bagged and Boarded. Uh, as you can hear, uh, my co-host this week will be my fucking psycho dog, Helmut. No, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Matt Cohen here, Bagged and Boarded time. Uh, we are back at the podcast bunker, folks. We didn't get demoted. It's just an alternate recording venue, and sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. So if you hear some barking in the background, I didn't develop a whooping cough, because it's not the 17th century, and we have modern medicines. We have airborne. No one gets that anymore unless you're a baby, because babies don't take airborne because they're not supposed to. So that's my dog in the background if you hear him. But we are in my uh, podcast bunker, a.k.a. apartment, because I don't really live in a bunker, because I'm Jewish, and that would be a little too close to the... uh to the call there, you know what I mean? Um, no, we're at my apartment today. We are going to be uh, chatting it up. This is a Brave and the Bold episode, folks. That means either a friend of mine you don't know or someone who's been on in the past, and it is the latter today, folks. You heard him about two and a half years ago, I think, on... Uh, I don't even remember the name of the episode because I'd smoke a lot of pot, but it was the episode about the release of the film Mystery Team, and he was on the show with uh, Maggie McFadden, the producer of the film. He's back to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know his work from the film mystery team and the, and the sketch group Derek Comedy. He has a book out called Boy Who Couldn't Sleep and Never Had To. He does, uh, 
comedy shows all over town. In fact, he had a show at the Smod Castle. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Bagged and Boarded, Mr. DC Pearson. And he's finding his mic. See, it's, it's fucking... We're low tech. What's up? What's How's up, it going? Dude? How are you? Not too bad. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Between sitting on the mic and dealing with the barking dog uh-huh. in your face, this is as fancy as it gets, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. This is the... Um, it's like doing a... Uh... I'm Anderson Cooper. Yes, exactly. It's That's like special. being in a war zone. Yeah. I'm, we're embedded right now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Muddy, uh... I might have to do something with him, but we'll try. If you just keep petting him, we'll be okay. Yeah. That's what, that's the only caveat with being a guest on my show. Mm-hmm. You have to pet my dog for an hour straight. Yeah, this dog is going to get a lot of affection. I didn't warn you about that, man. Welcome back, dude. Thanks for, thanks, thanks man. For Thank you for having me. No worries. Was it weird when I asked you to come to, come to my apartment? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, the phrasing I felt, it was a little weird because I was like, my place, two o'clock. <laughs> and if someone had overlooked that and not known mm-hmm. the deal. But uh, the guy down at the gate knew who I was and where I was going and everything. And he, he was like vaguely Italian, so it fits with the whole... Okay, I think he's Moroccan. Moroccan? Okay. Here's the thing. His name is um, Muhammad, mm. which would imply Muslim. Right. So maybe he's Algerian. Okay. Because he's not... He's a light-skinned gentleman mm-hmm. with a French accent. Yeah, okay. So my knowledge of the world goes to Algiers, maybe. All right. That sounds, that sounds about right. I've yeah. lived here for like four years. I Did you ask him if his grandfather was in the uh, the famous uh, film The Battle of Algiers? No, but that would be like a good subtle way to get mm-hmm. into that without being like racist. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from? He's like, no, it's Hollywood. You just figure everyone's in movies. So his grandfather was totally, probably in The Battle totally. of Algiers. Uh, what? Uh, speaking of Hollywood, man, you're not from here originally. No. Right? But you're from close enough. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona you're originally. From Arizona. Born and raised, yeah. Um, I have not spent much time in Arizona. Have I ever even? I think I've done layovers in the airport mm. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. our main export is, is layovers. Is layovers in the airport? Yeah. That and, and, uh, I don't even know what else. Just layovers in the airport. Just apparently. layovers and, uh, for a brief time in the Strip 90s, uh, computer chips. Okay. There like you Motorola go. and Intel is like our big thing, I think. It, it just seems like a suburban desert. Is that a weird call? Uh, no, that is the correct call. That's absolutely, it's very, um, it's kind of Spielbergian. Like, Spielberg grew up in, uh, Phoenix, and, uh, or if not Phoenix, like Tempe, I think, I can't remember exactly. It doesn't really matter. Where are the Jews? Somewhere in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, hey. Um, so like suburban Arizona. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a suburban desert. So it's kind of just like, if you just had the super suburban, like the valley parts of LA, and like everything Bill, wasn't Bill and Ted, like it's exactly San Dimas, but everything state. wasn't quite as if, but everything's not quite so fifties out as it is in the valley, where you go into the valley and it's kind of like this. Weird, you're like, are we still in the fifties? People haven't it? done much. Like, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of little dentists. I feel like <laughs> yes. in Burbank, shoe shine stores, little like hardware stores. You're like, how is that place still open in a world where Home Depot exists? Next I mean, to you're like happy an, they yeah, yeah, next to like an Aubon Pond, it'll mm-hmm. be like Jerry's. Yeah, next to like a really cool a florist with a really cool neon sign. I they forgot. Do have a I lot stopped cool paying your neon, dog for a second. See what happened there. Yeah. they do have a lot of cool neon signs in the valley. I've noticed, mm-hmm. like moving ones. Like h- hardware stores have that hammer mm-hmm. that goes up and down. Mm-hmm. I remember in New York. I don't know what it was for, but driving from Long Island to Manhattan, there was one for like a, it must have been a slide company, like a water slide company, because it was a little girl and she went to the top and she went down mm-hmm. and then she disappeared mm-hmm. and then she started up. It was the top either that uh, or for a uh, custody lawyer yeah because it was like we're going to accuse your husband of uh being uh reckless and with your child and Either not watching her while she's or swimming the, or the inverse is want to get rid of your kids yes exactly <laughs> yeah no questions asked kid clean, removal clean service. break yeah yeah but growing up in arizona it seems 
I mean, I don't even have to guess. You grew up a geek, right, dude? Comic yeah, books, totally, absolutely. Movies, mm-hmm. comedy. Yeah, there isn't much to do. Well, Phoenix, you grew up in Phoenix proper? Or? Yeah, well, there isn't much to do, but it's like there's not much to do anywhere when yeah, you're growing up. I never I understood that about that. about various places when people are like, oh, there's nothing to do there. I'm like, is there that much to do anywhere? Like, what do people do Orlando, besides Florida. work and sleep and try World to get laid and day. drink and stuff? No, yeah, I, exactly. I totally see what you mean, though. Um, okay. Uh, that okay was me trying to fucking... <laughs> Mentally not yelling at my dog right now. Uh, but no, you're totally right. Any, any childhood is pretty much fucking go to school, come home and you're bored. Mm. It doesn't matter where you, it's not like li- living in Manhattan, you're getting into bum fights and like, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. I just think of bum fights for some reason. <laughs> totally. Little getting into bum fights or paying bums to get into fights or just getting into the bum fights There's series. There's so many bums there. You got to think of something to do. Yeah, you really do. Uh, that we had a bracket system. We had a 64 bum bracket and then would get whittled down to 32, then 16. Eight, there's a final See, four. Yeah, I was bums. never into sports, so I could never follow it. But I would, I would watch from the, I would only watch for the last four games. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, like, you're like a person that only goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Exactly. I'm like the Jew that only goes to church, mm. on, which is yeah. even weirder. But yeah, but I mean, um, Arizona is a very, it was weird, especially when I was growing up there. Like, I think now it definitely has a reputation and not unrightfully so as being this kind of weird conservative, laboratory of awfulness that's like full of like racists and stuff like that where even places i feel like that are pretty conservative uh, the way i always refer to arizona is arizona's like in a group of bullies that's like the red states arizona's like the really like kind of dumb maybe possibly mentally challenged one but super these, like, tall very tall, tall and, and muscular yeah, yeah, but yeah. you have all these like other states that are like the smarter bullies where they're like mean but they won't do anything like that's truly like self-endangering whereas arizona's like the kid that's like yeah i'll fucking eat a worm or jump how, off a bridge now, or whatever now pre the uh like racial checkpoint stuff how mm. much of arizona's bad rep do you think was solely put on fucking joe arpejo and the pink uniforms on lockup because that's yeah. all i knew right 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 no years. a lot of it but i mean like he was considered he people really liked him you know like in the 90s i think when when america had not as many problems and so our biggest thing was like oh we've seen criminals on tv and we like the idea of people being tough on crime as opposed to like you know uh tough on human rights yeah exactly so like uh people were really into him people really really liked him people were very like proud of him and i think there are a lot of people in arizona still are but i think that national on a national scale like was there, reputation's not was so there a conservative bent when you were growing up there? You know, I didn't really notice it. Like, I was going to say, like, when I was growing up there, it felt more just like this weird non-place that didn't really have anything specific about it. It felt very kind of prefab. And that was always my image of it until mm-hmm. the recent stuff. It was just yeah. malls, like malls and desert. Exactly. Ma- malls and it. desert. And then the malls kept getting bigger and bigger. And when I was in high school, I remember just being like, oh, man, fucking corporations, man. And then after, like, during and especially after college, when, like, the recession started to hit and you would go home and you would see all these, like, mall, these, like, super malls just, like, closing down and, like, stores closing, you'd be like, oh, I guess there were, like, there are even worse problems than corporations taking over. And it's, like, corporations, like, not doing so hot. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you're like, oh, this is this is pretty freaky. You're like fucking uh, bureaucratic, you know, dude working at a Taco Bell, and then that same dude does has no job. And yeah, exactly. Are starving. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, 
yeah, you kind of like it. it, it you because he got free food when he worked at mm-hmm. Taco Bell. Yeah, if you look around Phoenix, I mean, it is this this big picture of kind of 80s and 90s, like, boundless optimism that all this stuff will always keep happening of, like, we can just keep expanding into the desert. It's not like growing up in, like, New Jersey or, like, Long Island or something like that, where it's, like, suburban, but there's the houses can only go so far, and there can only be so many shopping centers. Exactly. Whereas Arizona, it's just like, if we keep, like, I grew up in this house where... um we were in this uh, subdivision called, or not subdivision, this like little town called Awatuki on the and uh, in southern uh, Phoenix. And right behind my house, there was just a fence, and then there was just like desert, just like as far as I could see, all the way to uh, Tucson. And then I remember, literal, like, like right behind your house, mm-hmm. there was endless desert. Desert. There was desert, and then an Indian reservation, and then Tucson. <laughs> like that was it. Um, but as I like was growing up in that house, they then built like more houses behind our house, then more houses behind those houses, et cetera, et cetera. And if you go there now. Yeah, exactly. Sure totally. It's, it's almost filled mm-hmm. up. Yeah yeah, 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 totally. I mean, like you'll, you'd go like a mile or two before you hit like actual desert. So was, do you think you, were you, I feel like you were pretty passionate about the stuff you're into, right? Like yeah, you grew absolutely. up a big comedy nerd mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Do you think a lot of that living in Arizona was the impetus to get into that sort of escapism? Um, I mean, yeah, like, totally. Like I said, like living anywhere would be an impetus for that, but because you can't really go and like, do or watch any of that stuff like you kind of just have to get it like remotely from like comedy central and like monty python on like pbs and, and stuff like that and, and the young one mystery Those science the theater 3000 yeah. i've never still never seen the young ones really no it's all right <laughs> yeah yeah Rick mayall's character is good on the guy dropped who played drop dead fred mm. oh okay sure he's, sure, sure. he's one of the four but it's very yeah early 80s yeah totally it's, it's always seemed to me like one of those things i'm sure i'll get like pilloried for this on twitter by someone but it's always seemed to, to, to me to be one of those things i'm like i don't know if i watched it now if i would just go oh this clearly influenced a lot of things that i like but i don't know it's like one of those primary source things where you're like does it still hold up or is it like i think it's one of those ones where i watch it i don't laugh that loud but when it's done i'm like that was pleasant like yeah was, no totally there, there was nothing yeah but i get what i get why people dig it mm. like um only fools and horses do you know about that mm. on every single i'm a big britcom yeah fan on every single like definitive list of 100 mm-hmm. it's the number one british sitcom of all oh, time wow. okay. always listed mm-hmm. it's called only fools and horses i never found it that right yeah you know what i mean dude yeah. like father ted There's yeah a well, lot i kind of feel like my i don't know and again this is a pretty blasphemous thing to say but like a lot of those really seminal even like 80s american comedies i would w- get them and like watch them and be like i don't actually like find this that funny like i think there was a a strain of humor in like the post animal house world where it was like in don't get me wrong animal house i think is fucking phenomenal but a lot of them where it was just like kind of humor was just considered like calling an authority figure like that that guy's an asshole you know what i mean it's kind of the like chevy chase brand of like humor where it was just enough to be like listen listen you jerk and uh, and the humor was coming from like this protagonist who was like a really cool guy who was like anti-authority where now i think humor comes from having a very like uh hopefully a protagonist that like thinks they're really cool but we all know that they're not or even even the opposite now we got to a point where like i'm not a fan of the show but like big bang theory the Mm. protagonist has a fucking asperger's yeah you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like i think we've we've made the total kind of switch in 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 a comedy at least maybe where the where the male protagonist used to be macho dad flannel Mm -hmm. shirt yeah worked all day fucking mouthed off with his buddies at the bar or Mm. whatever like homer simpson Mm. whereas now they're all kind of more 
pictures of modern dudes yeah. who are nerdy computer fucking mm-hmm. pale, very pale. Everyone's yeah. very pale. Everyone's so. very pale. Well, also, too, I think, and again, I haven't seen Big Bang Theory either. I don't imagine that it would be very much my cup of tea, but um, I it isn't. Everyone for years told me it would yeah. be because they make a lot of comic book references, mm. and they totally do. Mm. But outside of that, like, yeah, if but you I gave feel me a like comic the reason that, like, the Big Bang Theory the is popular, thing. I don't feel like anyone like us, maybe, and that's maybe making a huge overgeneralization, really watches that show. But I think what you get is you get people like my uh, stepmom, who, don't get me wrong, is very, very funny for a stepmom and very, like, you know... Uh, <laughs> cool and nice, but she's like a seven on the set. Exactly, scale of one but to she's ten. exactly. But she's into. No, she's a ten. She's great, but she's uh, and I mean in looks. I'm I'm hitting on myself. All right, right. why um, not? Because at one point your dad's gonna get tired again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Um, and so um, yeah. So I feel like it's like people like her that watch shows and they get to feel like they're in touch with what people in their 20s are into. And they're like, it makes them just like, I feel like, you know, Friends obviously was popular with people our age, but I think the thing that made Friends such a mega hit is that people in their 40s could watch and go, I get what the kids in New York are into. This feels like modern and hip. Coffee, coffee. Shows that are huge, that are trying to portray like hip characters People our age never think they're like, that's so lame and like out of touch and like eight years behind. But people in, you know, uh, I guess, the, quote unquote, like the heartland, like uh, in their 40s are like, this is like what people in New York and L.A. must be into when they're in their 20s. A phrase I used to use was like hot topic. Cool. Sure. Like, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There are people who think hot topic is the coolest fucking and I'm not judging anyone, mm-hmm. but. I wouldn't. Auschwitz is more preferable for me. Not not like in the forties. You mean the store? You mean the store in the mall, Auschwitz? Yeah, which is just like that German watch retailer. (laughs) We don't see why this is a problem. They're like we we've been around. They're very clear. Established seventeen thirty eight. Like they have it on their t shirts. Very much predate. Yeah, that other thing. Any other that other thing we don't need. We all know what we're talking about. We don't need to mention it. (laughs) So, Um, but moving from you went directly from Arizona to NYU. mm -hmm. That's got to be like a jump right yeah it was but i mean it was like a really a cool jump to make like i really liked um i i if you're gonna like i think if you're gonna go out of state it was like well i was going like super duper out of state like really geographically far and and really far just in terms of like everything is sort of different um and it allows you to be very snobby like Almost immediately, uh, your dog hates New York. Yeah. Um, but He's never been. He's never allows been. you to be very snobby, like almost immediately, which is something you really want to be when you're 18 and you're like a freshman in college. Like you can't wait to be a snob. So it was exciting. Especially to the kids that were from New York. Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. Exactly. <laughs> well, people from New York, like, didn't really understand why I was there either. Like I've, I encountered very few people from Arizona when I was in New York. But yeah. then, and then now that I'm out here in LA, I encounter people for, that are from Arizona and I still act as excited as when I would meet somebody from Arizona in New York. It's so not as rare. Well, it's, it's weird. I never even thought about it, but like, it just seems like a lot of, it's one of those states that people stay in. Mm-hmm. Like even living in Manhattan, you know, that's yeah. where I met you. With, like, I don't know that I could name anyone else who moved from Arizona. To very New few York. people. Very yeah. few people. There was like one kid in my, the sort of like, you know, theater club that I would be, that I was in, in, um, in, uh, high school in Arizona that would always every year that would graduate and go to NYU. And so I think it just kind of started this like 
it made you aware that it was a possibility. And it was a time of much visibility for NYU because like the Olsen twins were going there. Like we were the same year for the brief period that they attended. Did you guys ever interact? I had no Olsen twins interaction. We did have in my sketch comedy group, uh, which was called Hammercats at NYU, we did have a short running bit where we would save seats up front for an Olsen twin. And we had like a bounty for anyone. That it could was bring, one like, an Olsen seat twin though. The show. And I think Olsen? there were two. I think there were two. I was going to say, because what if both showed up? Yeah, exactly. Right. You wouldn't um, want to turn. Which would you turn away? Uh, <laughs> um, we would make one of them wait outside and come to the 930 show. Oh, okay. Instead of the and then they switch, and then make even though mm-hmm. the other one wasn't going to get to another show, they'd yeah. have to wait. Nope, sorry, have to wait outside mm-hmm. though. Exactly. Um, you so it wasn't scary for you moving to Manhattan, or you thrived right away. You think? No, it was cool. I mean, it was really cool. Like I still remember like waking up from being a freshman and getting cast in this like uh improv group, this like college improv group, and. It, like a couple months after school starting and like waking up from a nap and thinking like I'm about to go do like the first show that I'm ever going to do in New York. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and that being a really exciting, intense feeling. And I, and I remember reading an interview at the time from some musician or something and he was like, when you do stuff in New York, you do it like, uh, for the world like on a world stage and i was like yeah yeah uh, that's what my college improv show about dicks is it's for on the a world seven stage. people in the audience yeah, exactly. at two o'clock exactly in the exactly yeah. um but uh no You're it was the world like, right it was now. good it was if it was scary it was good scary you know what i mean um and then i think then you know you kind of go oh i can move across the country and st- start life over but i'm in this like protective bubble of college too so it made it if i had just like moved like let's say i'd been living in arizona till i was like 22 and then i was like i'm gonna move to new york that might have been a to little be bit a townie more. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly um but then by the same token, because I went to college in, you know, in New York, like I and I was doing by the time I graduated from uh, <laughs> gosh, hush, by the time I graduated he from uh, college. Yeah. Oh, my God. Your dog is very anti-intellectual. He yeah. thinks everyone should just take their, uh, you know, um, money they were going to spend on tuition. He's like, just make your first feature, man. Well, he's just mad that we he's a big, 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 I can't even say huge, it. big bang theory, fan. huge, big bang. Theory, um, yeah, I can yeah. see it in his eyes. Yeah. Um but uh what was i saying um just living in new york i mean oh yeah yeah, so i was doing like you know like shows at ucb and whatever when i was still in college and so by the time i graduated i was still doing that stuff i was teaching improv i was coaching improv teaching sketch classes and stuff like that at ucb and i kind of weirdly felt like a townie which is weird to feel like a townie in like one of the biggest cities in america lived in for like four exactly yeah but i really like but after i had graduated i was kind of like oh this is my like college town for better or for worse like it kind of doesn't matter where that is if that a place has that aura for you then it's always gonna feel that way no 100 percent. now you just touched on it a little bit in in you lived in manhattan for how long like uh i lived in manhattan for the four years that i was in college i always tried to stay in student housing because i was like i'm never going to be able to live where i'm living right now at this address where ever again because i'm yeah, never I mean, going to be able yeah. to afford it um and then after i graduated i moved to uh astoria queens all right now, excuse yeah. me vamp for one second yeah no problem Okay, uh, so Matt is gonna go talk to his dog right now, and, uh, I'm continuing to talk to you, the audience. Oh, I was gonna talk to your dog? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry about that. No, but you lived, you lived in the, uh, let's say the, uh, New York City, New York City for how long in total? Um, six years. Six From 2003 to 2000, uh, fucking nine. So in six years, you went from, random freshman in college straight off the whatever train plane i wouldn't yeah. say there's no boat because there's no water right 
So straight off the uh, the the tricycle from from Arizona, and in four years you were already performing improv. You had an improv group. You were teaching improv. Yeah, my um my friend. What had happened was, so I was in this college sketch group called Hammercats, and that's where I met the other guys uh, and girl that are in my comedy group, Derek and I think uh, Dominic Turkis. We touched on this. Yeah, Dan Ekman, Donald yeah. Glover, and Maggie, and uh, a friend of uh, mine who was in this comedy group, Hammercats, with me. Um, he was interning at UCB when I was a freshman and he was like, I think a senior already. And, um, somebody at UCB was like going to do what's called a spank show, which is like where you're auditioning to have a run at the theater. And they had to drop out at the last minute. And my friend just happened to be in the office and he was like, Hey, I have this, you know, sketch comedy group. We'll do, we'll like fill in. And, um, and it was Hammercat. Yeah. And the artistic director, Owen Burke was like, yeah, okay. Cause like there weren't at that time really that many like i mean what year is this oh this is like oh four so it's point. not early ucb by any measure no, but, but it, it still wasn't before the explosion yeah it was it was before you really had people doing shows at the theater who came from outside of the ucb Abs- system yeah, totally. if that makes any sense absolutely so we were like and this is not to and be like we pioneered this because we didn't we just wanted to do a for show for those who don't know when we say ucb it's uh we're talking about the upright citizens brigade uh which was started by amy Poehler, matt walsh uh ian robertson matt besser which is a improv group they had a tv show but they also teach improv classes and it's become now i'm sure everyone listening to this show knows what ucb is but early on it, w- it was a very kind of like a farm system thing like yeah totally they they, they cast their all of their shows mm-hmm. exclusively almost with people from in yeah. in house from the theater mm-hmm. yeah 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 um and so we were kind of basically like i remember at the time because we were there were like dude it was like college sketch groups so there was like 14 people in it and so we're doing this like big show that we had an intermission in the middle of which is like <laughs> if you have a sketch comedy show that's like long enough to have an intermission like something has gone <laughs> horribly wrong um but we and just every Every sketch had like 15 people in it and it was a big production number and whatever. And I remember the joke hearing later that the joke around the theater at that time was like that every person who you didn't know was in Hammercats. Like every just like kid, if you just saw some kid around, like that person was that in, Hammercats. in Hammercats. And at the time yeah. I remember feeling very aggrieved by that. I'm like, no, we're just trying to do a show like everyone else. But now looking back at it, it's like, yeah, that would feel weird and invasive if you just had suddenly had like 15, 18 year olds running around. So you hadn't taken any classes before you guys? I hadn't. Started? I didn't, um, uh, until I was already in. Um, uh, college sketch group and also a college improv group. And there was a lot of crossover between the two. And I, I remember signing up for my level one class with, um, Owen Burke and who was the artistic director of the theater at the time who had given us our first show and going to, and going to this like, um, improv Owen festival. Burke was your 101 teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this improv festival over the weekend in South Carolina with my college group coming back. And just because I didn't have any clean clothes, like on this Sunday afternoon, when my class was supposed to start wearing a like, um, the t-shirt from the festival which to this day like almost all of my wardrobe is fucking t-shirt comedy festival, festival. Yeah, yeah comedy yeah, festival yeah. free t-shirts with like the names of like goofy like you know like the umass amherst sketchatorics or you know like whatever the, whatever, whatever groups were part of yeah, yeah exactly um and chuckle fucks yeah the, 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 the chuckle fucks the knuckle chuckle fucks uh yeah. um all derivations of yes all of the same of the same structure um and so, um, and coming back and just wearing that shirt and then realizing like, oh, I'm the fucking asshole that's showing up to his improv class the first day with his like, uh, improv festival so, like, t-shirt on. Like, sh- we'll do a stretch, a stretch and share. Oh, I'm tired because I was in this improv yeah, festival totally. last night. Totally. <laughs> um, and so it had this weird feeling of like being 18, having a run at the theater, feeling like, oh, I already like understand how this works because I'm like, I have, a, you know, I'm already doing shows at the theater. Like, I fucking get it. And then, um, 
getting to like level like actually not being that good like originally at improv because i wasn't humble i had no humility i was like i'm 18 i fucking get it i'll probably be on snl in like a year it's totally cool um and uh really not having a whole lot of humility about it even though i like really wasn't very good at it and i got to um level three of this long form improv class and my teacher was this guy michael delaney who if you kind of talk to anybody who took you know, um, improv in New York at a certain time. And like, even to this day is like this guru. He's like the awesomest, I don't like hardest yeah, core yeah. dude ever. He's like very like tough, but will tell you exactly like what the deal is and actually be totally correct. And also just like, just really com- could not get it more when it comes to, the, to improv. And I remember I was doing this scene and I was just had decided like that I knew what the scene was about. So I was laying a whole trip on my scene partner and making it not easy for them to improvise. And after the scene, he, um, he turns to my scene partner. He's like, yeah, that was okay. And then he turns to me and he was like, uh, that's not how we do, uh, you know, improv here at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. That's not what we teach here. And that's not how Del Close would have. Done. And this is level three. This is th- yeah. So yeah. this is already, you've already been through two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, but it was like, so it was like devastating. Totally. And I was like, <laughs> just like dizzy for a week. But then he was, could not have been more correct. And it kind of was like the sort of thing where I had to learn, like, yeah, just cause you like do your little sketches with your little buddies. This is a whole different art form. Like, and you don't automatically get it just cause you think you're cool. I think that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but Charlie Sanders literally screamed at me to a point where I thought he was going to hit me once. And that I came back the next day and was like the sharpest I'd ever, you know yeah, what I mean? Because I was totally. afraid he was going to hit me. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I totally learned that lesson that the layback kind of... You you learn more when someone's in your face about your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Well, because you can also go through it and there is a very, you know, just like in anything else in the arts, like there is a a, a big... And because improv is all about like you know, caring about your scene partner and being very connected and being very connected to your ensemble, there is a big kind of touchy-feely vibe that runs through it. I mean, let's but be honest, too. We're adults playing make-believe. Exactly. Like, and robots and monkeys and whatever. I'm a yeah, exactly. Astronaut. We should so, have a job. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So it's like... There is a big touchy feely vibe that runs through it, and that's a part, that's a good part of it, and whatever, and being supportive is definitely a part of it, but you do occasionally need those people, just like in anything, to be like, hey, guess what? Like, you're not as good as you think you are. You need to, like, kind of get humble and try to do this right. Now, did you move to, did you go to school? You went to school for film, though, right? I went to school for, um, dramatic writing, which is writing for movies and TV and, uh, plays. Was comedy always the endpoint? Almost immediately. It wasn't like, I, I, I think I went to college being more like, I want to be like a playwright or a screenwriter or whatever and that's kind of why i got into what i got into and then almost immediately when i started doing sketch and improv and seeing shows at ucb i went you know what i think i want to do comedy and then have everything else kind of be an adjunct to that but like i definitely want to focus on comedy and then i don't want to say wonderkind but it seems to have fallen into place so quickly for you that how could you question that you know what i mean yeah um it, I mean, there have been like sophomore year where you were yeah. fucking right, 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 right. All, like you knew um, what you were gonna do. Yeah, it will. It was like, but it, it it's funny too because then it's like there's tears of it falling into place. You know what I mean? Like there's like you do have a show at UCB, so you're like at one point you were like this is all I ever wanted in the world, and just like anything else, as soon as you're you like, have win. the thing that you want, you immediately start taking it for granted. Oh, dude, I got like I see all these toys around the yeah. house. Oh, it's instant gratification for yeah. thirty five seconds. Right, like, exactly. I defeated the universe like all is right because mm. i'm holding this fucking one piece pirate fucking bear figure yeah 
it's still awesome, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's yes, there's that feeling of like every every yeah. milestone you reach, mm-hmm. it, it that's the final plateau. There was this really recently, this really. I like good, that my like, milestones are toys that I buy. Though. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, well, there's well, first, I mean, like they have there have been like studies, uh, and I say this like I've read the studies, but I've just read the little article and mostly just the headline on CNN.com yeah. or whatever. But like um, Yahoo th- about page. how the the happiness and the satisfaction that you get from uh goods and kind of like acquiring like things lasts like it is it is real but it lasts for like so much less time and is less strong over time than what you get from experiences like if you and they were saying like you would be better served to pay like if let's say you buy a new like laptop and it's like fucking awesome because like right now like i would love a new laptop like that would be the best mine's like getting old opening up the box exactly exactly and like for that week you're like this is the hottest shit in the world and this is awesome and look at how great this is and then like the screen kind of starts to get smudgy and then like certain keys start to like not be as responsive as they used to be and whatever and that goes away pretty rapidly as soon as you have like the first smudge on the screen of your new iphone it's just but if you like spend that money on like a vacation and even if it doesn't go that great even if it's like kind of shitty like if you get a couple good stories out of it like and then it rained the whole time and then there was this weird guy who kept hitting on one of us like the fact that you have those stories now and that experience like that will continue to be enriching to you and to take it uh, not a level deeper or anything but um also, that I think that probably plays into why we're such a consumerist economy mm-hmm. because most people don't have time for those experiences. Totally. Or so, if, if yes, one vacation equals twenty little things. The mm-hmm. twenty little things can be acquired easily. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think we're also a we're a very superficial culture. So it's like it's like people don't really necessarily have the time to sit down and hear about in order people necessarily want to you're like you know weird thing that happened to you in spain but if they can just look at you oh, and I go, love that. oh that's and what, yeah <laughs> yeah but if they like just look at you and go oh that guy's got a really nice rolex then you feel like it's it's easy to identify yeah exactly you get the but story. there's a tr- kind of a trip that i'm on now where i'm like um you know i am gonna try to focus less on trying to do things because of the impressions they'll create in other people's heads because i don't get to experience that really like clearly a lot of what we do and especially what you do in la and because i feel like it's a super obviously this is like the most cliche thing in the world but but true like a pretty superficial like culture sometimes like the impressions that you focus on the impressions you're going to create in other people's heads well you don't live in their heads and you don't get the you know chemical benefit of causing a feeling in them one way or the other so it's like why don't you focus more on the things that take place in your own head as opposed to the impressions you create in other people makes sense man you know what i mean and it goes again that goes against like a lot of i forget i was just i don't want to sound fucking fancy but i was literally just reading a book about i think it was schopenhauer who said something about how you can only gauge yourself through other people's Mm -hmm. how how other people look at you you don't exist until other people well dude fucking weird uh like connection that was a thing that i remember owen burke saying in level one of improv he was like the reason that listening is so important in improv is because you can he's like it is important just in a sort of like it's important and it's like the most important thing but the reason that it's important in a selfish way is because you can't see what you're doing you don't really know like you know how you you're think too you're in the moment you're on autopilot, you know well yeah, yeah but also you know how you th- just like in life you know how you think you're coming across but you really have no way of actually knowing because your experience of you is probably almost the least accurate 
Um, but your scene partner like actually knows what you're doing. And so if you listen to them and how they're reacting to you, then you actually know what you're doing and then you're actually doing something. And I remember that really putting me in my head just in life for like six months. Cause That's I was huge, like, dude. I know how I'm think I'm coming across, but I don't really have any way of knowing how. That's also a great translation to writing too. Absolutely. Whereas you write something and you, you, you're like, oh, that's the greatest fucking screenplay of all time. Yeah. You're like, it's done. I, yeah. I won. I mm-hmm. won. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm the new him, whatever. Yeah. And then one person reads it and they're like, all right. Yeah. It fucking totally boggles your mind. But mm-hmm. if you could sit there and think totally. in the moment that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 uh, so it's, it only, a, it's a weird, it's a weird, well, it's a weird contradiction to what I was just saying exactly, about like focusing yeah. on the impressions in your own head as, as opposed to other people's. But I think I mean it in the sense of like, because obviously in, in terms of your work and whatever, it does matter to you what certain people say and, and the feeling that it creates in people. I mean, obviously with comedy, like it's not getting laughs. It's like not working. But then by the same token, you can't be overly... I like to say I'm not funny on paper to justify <laughs> that. It's, it's execution dependent. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, like, it's not... Um, it, 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 it is important to make people laugh. Obviously, that's how you know that it's working. It's important to, like, work on that. But then by the same token, you can make people laugh by, like, falling down. Or you can make them laugh with, like, a really intricate, weird fucking trippy like piece of performance art as well you know what i mean you had to put a ton of work into so it's i don't know it's like the impression that you create in the audience is super duper important but also not the be all end all and then i think when i was talking about like the impressions that you create in your own head as opposed to other people's i i think i mean more so like when you're trying to accomplish certain things sometimes and we were talking about like the emptiness of accomplishing them and then turning around and being like yeah but i'm gonna start taking it for granted immediately now it's like maybe it's more important to focus on your own estimation of yourself rather than the estimation that you think other people will have of you based on your achievements or lack thereof totally but i think that's a universal thing though is that lack of is is that rule of diminishing let's let's use you personally for example like i just know in my life there have been certain things that I, I'm very fortunate and very happy with where I am. And a lot of really cool things have happened, things I've dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And in the moment they've happened, my reactions have not been what I thought they mm-hmm. would be. Totally. Like, you had a movie you fucking play. It's Sunday. Like, yeah. w- was it screaming and jumping up and down? or? Every- um, It was, well, certainly when we found out that we got in, it was absolutely screaming and jumping up and down. Because, I mean, it was this big validation. It was this big thing that we put, had put like, two years and, like, you know... uh hundreds of thousands of, of dollars too, and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, all kinds of shit into at that time and like people not really believing it the crew threatening to walk out on us halfway through like all of this stuff why did the crew threaten to walk out um the grips the whole grip crew quit basically we had this crew of like it grips was a non union like, it was a non union like show <laughs> it was that grips don't like comedy yeah well, I've like, learned that it was um it, it was basically like or it, I don't I don't know if it was that it was non-union no it wasn't that I can't remember exactly I don't know for sure but it was basically that like um we were these like kids that were like making this movie and a lot of the people instead of being like I'm going to I'm a professional grip this is what I do were people that were kind of these like freelance indie film like almost pirate crew of the northeast like this weird assemblage of like craigslist yeah 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 for in some cases i think probably um and then you go like and then they're like you and the the head of the crew the grip department that like quit took dan the director aside and was like you're you're too ambitious man you can't be make you're too you're too young to be doing this man maybe you can do this in like 10 years you can shoot the shit the way we want to shoot it but like not now you got to just like do it 
how we say you should do. Like he really was, was kind of like telling his business. Was there a weird Mexican grip guy in New Hampshire? Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't. I, shot, I don't right? think he was Mexican. Oh, okay. But he was def- certainly he had certainly accent? of a Latino extraction. Oh, okay. Yeah, right totally. On. Um, uh, <laughs> he knows who he is. I think he went he's to. Listening. Yeah, he's exactly. A big fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was all set up. You, yes, exactly. Yeah, this yeah. is a sting operation. Um, but um, so it was a really big rush when we found out we got in. Obviously, a great big validation. Um, and then when we were there, like totally in the in the lead up to it, like very nerve wracking, but also very exciting. And you're there, and obviously, it is a really big achievement, but. We were so focused on the process of like trying to get the movie sold and we had like a film sales agent and like a publicist and whatever. And so you have all this, these expectations of what it's going to be like. And then going there and realizing like, Oh, none of us are stars at all. No one knows who we are. It's tough to tell people exactly what this movie is and how it fits into like the Sundance landscape where we would have been better served to have a movie about like growing up as like a gay, you know, uh, Asian wheelchair a gaysian gaysian wheelchair you know what i mean like or whatever or something like, in the potato famine yes exactly Black or something whatever it was something that's a very specific like message movie or something where it's like this tells you what it's like to be a filipino growing up in idaho or something like that like we would have been better served which is do that as opposed story, to just like i'll give you that. oh absolutely like, uh, as opposed to making a movie that's just kind of an r-rated like you know dirty comedy movie that is kind of high concept like that is it about, ends with that is about more than just three dudes trying to get laid yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so it was it was a tough sell on a lot of accounts and um so we were really focused on just like trying to get press and trying to get industry attention and trying to get to sell the movie and then it didn't sell at sundance and so you go like well that wasn't the prescribed narrative of what was supposed to happen in my head what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to go there halfway through the movie like all these like distributors are supposed to leave the theater because they're going to go start like bartering for our like futures and then we're going to go to this cabin and harvey weinstein's going to be there and then we're going to be like the indie darlings of america like, that's like the prescribed narrative and, and it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly it just so happens Come that we were in. like at the worst sundance ever for that kind of thing and for like for films to you get you were at the uh, recession year right we were at the no d- one yeah bought. we were in the the deepest belly of uh, that version of the recession. Yeah, it was like t- January of 2009. But the happy story is subsequently a lot. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Subsequently, yeah, well, subsequently got uh, picked up by this place, Roadside Attractions. And that's why we kind of moved out here to LA was to work on it with them. And then, uh, Lionsgate did the, de- we did like a fun, like tour. And I think that's when we talked to you last. And I think it was right after the tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Lionsgate did the DVD. Um, and it's like streaming now on Netflix and people are like discovering it and watching it and we're really happy with the DVD and stuff like that. So it's still out there. The first person experience of like having made it and shown it to people for us is a little bit like in the past and we're trying, you know, like trying to make new stuff in various collaborations. Well, speak, speaking of which, you're about to kind of go down this road again, right? But we're, we're fast forwarding a bit. Mm-hmm. Since we last spoke to you, uh, you published a novel, sir. Yes. That's fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> like you put it, you made a movie. It's like, yeah. all right, man, that's cool. But like, you wrote a book. That's that's crazy impressive. Mm. You know what I mean? Because oh, that, that takes dedication and time. And like, uh, well, how did it come about? Um, so I made a novel that got um, published by Random House. Right after I, um, it's always like that was always my thing that I was like because I like acting and I like doing comedy and I like all that stuff. But my thing was always like, well, I know that I can right i really like doing it and i think if you were like you can only do one thing it would be like okay you know like writing is that is that the truth you would mm-hmm. put everything else away yeah yeah, yeah. If, if 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 i really only had to do one of them sadly it's like i would it was like i really love performing like i love it a ton and i would definitely miss that instant ego gratification but it's like if i had to be like you can literally only do one thing it's like okay i guess i have to do that um 
And so, um, it's commendable and you get to sleep as late as you want. Exactly. Yeah. Or you get to sleep as late as you want and then not write if you're a writer is the other little secret of writing. Cause then you could just say, you know what? I'm not going to force myself to write. Uh, and then you could just take a week you know, off. Or it's like you know you're supposed to force yourself to write, but then you just like guilt your, try to guilt yourself into doing it, and then you don't end up doing it, and then you go see a movie instead. Um, but so you actually leave the house. I <laughs> I guilt myself into not doing it, and then stare at the fucking computer where right. I should be doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, that's that's actually yeah. probably smarter. Um, but um, yeah. So I right after I graduated from college, um, I was like writing like all throughout college. I've been writing like short stories for my like website and whatever. And um, I got on the train in Queens one day to go to this temp job, and my I saw my friend Eliza um, Skinner, and who was also a comedian at UCB in New York. And you guys co-hosted uh, Magic Bag at the Smodcast. We'll talk yes, about a little totally. Later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is back like probably like three this is like four years ago now this is like 2007 and she was like i really like a, a lot of the short stories that you've been writing on your website i was like oh thank you she's like you should um you should write a book you should like write a novel and i was like yeah i've always really wanted to do that like i think that would be really cool to do like someday you know i'd really like to do that and she's like gives me this look and she's just like you know a lot of people say they want to do that but not a lot of people ever do <laughs> and it just really hit up this like competitive drive in me where i was like oh fuck i really want to do that and like it kind of hit me at the perfect time too because you're in that weird like post-college thing where you're like everything's up for grabs what's even real like you can either kind of like um use that and just kind of like fall into a deep depression which i definitely did as well um it always helps though yeah exactly comedy. but then you're also like okay it's t- like time to make moves so i like went into my temp job that day which was in the accounting department at barnes and noble and I wrote Eliza an email on my lunch break and I was like, hey, so I think I'm going to write a book um, or I want to try to anyway. Um, but will you be like my like novel sponsor? And like when uh, you see me like bother me about it, because the only things I respond to are like guilt and fear. I don't, I don't respond very well to like traditional like positive inspiration i respond better to like sort of like terror um or guilt or I whatever or social thing. pressure yeah, you know yeah, totally. um and so she was like yeah sure so like knowing that i had that person out there was good because it's like she would i would be like bartending at ucb and she would like come in to like do a show or see a show or whatever and she'd be like where's the book where's the book where's the book and i'd have <laughs> to be like actually be like i'm working on it or i'm defending it or like tell her where i was with it so i finished the first draft of it and probably like did you have the idea right away I had, it was, uh, it was like, or it had, it was an idea that had been around for me for a long time. Like, not so much, cause basically the, so the, the kind of like, um, I guess the plot of the. If you want to tell the basic, cause then I, in a minute, uh, I'm actually gonna reveal something to the audience and we're gonna get a little participatory on, <laughs> on this piece. So the book is called The Boy Who Couldn't Sleep and Never Had To. Basically the premise is that there are these two like friends in high school. Um, who are super nerds. They're kind of too nerdy for like, you know, even the band kids or the theater kids or any like nerd clique. They're kind of just in their own little world of like culture and anime and video games and stuff like that. And so, um, one of the friends reveals to the other friend that he has no biological need for sleep and he never has. And this turns out to be true. It, it actually, the, he's telling the truth. Um, and his friend is like, oh my God, that's awesome. This is like everything that we've ever like imagined or any comic book we've ever drawn, like times a million, you know what I mean? And this is so cool. And his friend is like, we have to keep it a secret. Like you, it isn't how you'd want it to be. Like we just can't, we can't tell anybody. We can't do anything with this. And, um, a girl ends up coming between them and the secret kind of gets out and then they're like on the run from secret quasi governmental possibly like forces and it turns into more of like a adventure so it's like a sci-fi adventure coming of age 
sort of Steven Spielberg-y, Amblin-y, kind of 80s-y thing. Um, and I had had the idea of, like, this kid, a kid who can't sleep since I was in, like, high school. And just the, cause I would just stay up super late. Just, <laughs> you know? And so it always seemed very interesting to me, the idea of something that is sort of like a superpower, but it's just more like you can't do something. It's like you, it's not so much. Something. Yeah. What do you gain from that? Well, and I'm going to review it right now. I actually, uh, I have not read the book yet. I am ashamed to say, sir. I'm very busy, man. I don't know. I, know, you, you I don't do know if you stuff. know me. Look at all these fucking toys. I know. Man. Yeah. They don't buy themselves. <laughs> to, uh, someone had to hang that sword. Mm-hmm. You had to polish your Donnie Darko figurines. I did. Only one figurine. Thank you. Singular will stay, but, um, but I, I have heard, uh, Matt Cruz, who's a friend of the show, um, has read your book and, mm-hmm. and raved about it. A lot of people. People uh, are huge fans of it. So I came up with this little idea, and we'll, we'll get back to the story in a minute. But bagged and boarded, uh, get ready for the B and B B C. What do you think of that? The bagged and boarded book club. Ready? Check this out. Uh, timing out this week, I'm going to be relaunching my website, cameltoadproductions.com, because I've been very, very lazy, and I got some really cool people helping me out. So in the forums, if you sign up for the message board, I'm going to have a special book club forum on that. And what we're going to do is... Everybody out there, Amazon, where, where, uh, where can we find them? Amazon.com, uh, you can get it like, uh. Where's your preferred venue for us? Uh, you can get it on Amazon new, that's totally great, or you, you know, it's in Barnes and Noble and, uh, probably the one remaining borders as well. <laughs> you can maybe get it, uh, if you live near remainder. that border. You can also, like, if you don't feel like springing, like, ten bucks plus shipping for it, you can get it used in a lot of places. I know, um, you can get it used on Amazon, you can get it on your Kindle. Is there an ebook you can get version? It on your, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a, it's on Kindle, it's on your iPad, so if you want to be, like, fancy and on your iPad, you can. Um, there isn't an audiobook of it yet, although I'm supposed to do it at some point here pretty soon, but don't wait for that, because that will probably take, just like everything in publishing takes a really Dude, long time. Dude, surprise! You've got the next four hours what? on Here we microphone. go! Let's do it! Um, <laughs> Chapter one. Yeah, totally. Oh my god. Um, so everybody go out and get the book, and then uh, I'd say the average, it's like a 200 and something page book. A little more than 200, yeah. People, people have jobs, so let's say, let's let's give it two weeks, folks. Ready? In about two weeks, uh, we'll discuss it on the show again, but we'll definitely be jumping on the message boards and we're going to do book reports yo and the winner of the book report contest will win a special dc pearson themed prize <laughs> that he doesn't know about i stole a lock of his hair <laughs> so you can clone me. i just told him yeah yeah fuck yeah me. exactly and then you have oh, me of your own exactly and then i'm force him to write books for yes me. exactly or for, my, rather my, force him to think about writing books and then just going to my movies pen name yeah yeah but uh so everybody go out there and read the book and then we're going to read it together as a group and uh hopefully uh we'll all discuss it a little bit more so there's that aspect of it, but dude, back to you uh, being a published author. So you wrote this book, mm-hmm. Eliza was your sponsor, made yes. sure you got through it. Right. Um, how was the shopping process? Was it much different than shopping a film? Um, yeah. uh, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, the short answer is yes. And the, the long answer is that it, like, um, it publishing, at least in my experience has been a lot kind of like gentler and less mercenary than wow. like. The film business, I mean, A, it's just because, like, and this isn't to say that, like, publishing is necessarily doing so great, but they still publish, like, lots of books. Like, they put out yeah. lots of books, whereas, like, the major movie studios, where it's, like, they used to put out, like, fucking 40 movies a year, and now they put out, like, seven. Uh, so it's just so much harder to get, like, a movie made, whereas a book, it's just a lot... It's lower risk and lower potential reward, but it is lower risk you for mean everyone involved. You mean this book involved. didn't cost $130 million? No, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. All copies of the book are actually CGI. They're not <laughs> real. They exist as three-dimensional holograms, and Barnes & Noble is pissed. And they were post-converted into 3 Yes, exactly. Don't get mad. Uh, James Cameron you know I mean? is also yeah. upset. Um, so, um, but basically, so I wrote it. We went away and shot 
uh, mystery team. I came back. I did a second draft of it. I showed it to my um, agent. I didn't have an agent for like books or anything like that, but my like acting and writing uh, agent. And uh, she really, really liked it. And she was like, I'm going to show it to this like lit agent friend of mine. He read it and liked it. And he was like, I want to rep it and send it to publishers. And so he sent it out to um, eight or nine places. And then he called me in a couple days. He's like, so eight places don't want to do it. It, total rejection and then this other place wants to do it and i was like fucking great that's all we need and so um and then i he was like can you take the train in and like meet your editor and i was like yeah totally so it was like still to this day probably the the, the closest i've ever had to that feeling of like you're it you're up kid it's your time in the spotlight you know what i mean so i like took the to subway in from queens and went downtown or not downtown midtown not that it fucking matters um and met my like someone's uh, like this is story isn't true he didn't write that yeah, fucking exactly. book. get out of here yeah. there are no publishers downtown you animal um and uh and met my editor this guy jerry howard um who's like the coolest dude in the world he's like a very old school publishing like tweed jacket with the patches on it yeah, yeah yeah dude just like the coolest guy he did david foster wallace's first book he did awesome. um all of uh chuck he does all of chuck Palahniuk's books he did like fight club and he's just like the coolest dude in the world and i was very like honored that anyone liked it much less him because he has this really cool pedigree and he was really great to work with um and it was this great thing where i kind of expected because i had done like you know Derek comedy and come up in this world of like making like dick and fart videos essentially that i was like well and then now i'll be like very literary and high-minded and highbrow in this one part of my career and almost immediately Did you he pack had, like, a lunch no, like no, 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 very just, literary no, 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 no. I just met when oh, okay. met him in his office, but I was expecting like, okay, well now it's gonna, I'm gonna be very highbrow, and I think before I even got there, he had Googled me and like gone and watched like the Derek videos, and he was like, oh, bro, rape, love it, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> and so it was like immediately, you know, you every fu- you fucked over that second DC, <laughs> right? I fucked over the the ability to start my life over as a high toned literary <laughs> yeah. figure, um, by the power of Google, uh, but no, but he was like super. It wasn't like he was like, oh, my stars, this will not stand, but he was like, there are these videos they're super funny people clearly like them they have lots of views and that's all very cool and exciting as well um and yeah and then he liked the book and then everything in publishing takes a super duper long time so he got me notes in his like his like edits which are basically like you know notes on the the manuscript um and i did like a rewrite of it and then that was basically like by that point like the fall of 2009 and then i think i finished it in like the spring of yeah no that that doesn't sound right I probably this that doesn't fucking matter. But the point to is that it, one it dude, public, it does. The, the 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 point is that it came out in the January of like 2010 finally after like a year basically. And what was and you did like a book tour like I didn't really do a book tour. Well, you, you did I a um, few signings and stuff. I had like a that, couple right? signings. I had a signing in LA at a place called Skylight Books in Los Feliz which is this awesome bookstore and I had a signing uh in New York. That was really cool as well. Um and that was about it. They don't really do book tours anymore unless you're like fucking Stephen King. Like it just doesn't financially, I guess, make sense. Uh, doesn't move a lot of copies. So got you like a prevost fucking band bus and, and set you on 40 dates across the country? Yeah, no, yeah. that'd be amazing. They actually sent me on the bang bus? It was weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> Random like, House is a really good relationship with bang bus. We're trying, to share, we're trying to share profits. Yeah. Keep everything low <laughs> exactly. overhead. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, the Knicks were also on that bus traveling to an away yeah. game. Like it was just a, yeah. It was every a bus. bus. Everyone's going the same place. Um. So yeah. Um, but getting getting to uh, you also did a really cool thing where you would go to random stores mm-hmm. and draw. 
Yeah, well, because the book is partially about, like, these kids that are really into, like, drawing comic books and making stuff up, and I was very into that when I was a kid, and, like, the book is dedicated to my friend Trevor, who was, like, my best friend uh, growing up and still back home is, like, my best friend to this day, um, and that's how we first met was, like, we were in, like, spelling class in, like, fourth grade, and I looked over, and he was, like, drawing this, like, comic book in, like, the margin of his, like, spelling book. And I was like, oh, what's that? And we got, like, super-duper into it and got, like, way over-ambitious with shit and were, like, trying to... Promising kids that we were going to, like, make merchandise and give it away <laughs> for our little, like, dumb comic that we had no, completed, like, one issue of and never did more than that. Um, and so it's all about... That's the kind of the theme of it. And so... And I obviously was that kid that, like, really liked to draw, even though I didn't have a tremendous amount of actual technical proficiency for it. And so there are like drawings in the book that the characters you know have done and whatever and so i was like yeah i'm just gonna go to like random stores and you always do the very like uh self-absorbed thing of checking to see if they have the book like in the first place (laughs) and so when i would do that i would just go in and like sit down and just like um yeah just like draw in the book and then take a picture of it and tweet that i had like done it and then people hopefully go and like buy them because it ideally would be like a more cool thing. You're like the like literary Tony to Hawk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's yeah. always giving stuff out in like mailboxes and Oh, shit. really? Oh, Tony Hawk every day, dude. Like uh, he's always like, go to the rock quarry behind the Springfield Mall. And someone's like, I got it. And then someone will tweet a picture of like a skateboard and like a video game system. Oh, wow. He's like a cool Oprah. Yeah, no and kidding. Not that Oprah's not cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. not as great at skating? No. But. She does her own thing. She has her own area yeah. of expertise. Tony Hawk can't build the school in South Africa like Oprah can. He can build it out of pizza bagels. That would be so fucking awesome. <laughs> the school, but they would eat and it then they so just quick. devour yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. school would be over. But uh, so the book came out. It did really well. And and what we'll jog back a few a few minutes ago. Mm. Speaking about going down the film road again, uh, it was actually announced like probably about a week or two ago. That you and uh, and the team from Behind Mystery Team, Dan Ekman and Maggie McFadden, were going to try to adapt uh, Boy Who Couldn't Sleep into a feature film. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's something that we've wanted to do for a really long time. Like, uh, Dan and Maggie was like one of the first people to read it. And then Dan read it shortly thereafter. And once he read it, he was like, I really want to do this for a feature. It would be awesome. And I was like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Because... It is the sort of thing that I'd always had in the back of my mind. Like, that's not the reason I wrote it, but I was like, oh, it would make a pretty cool movie, I think. You know what I mean? Like, um, and obviously I sort of grew up on stuff like that. I'm still like, you know, so it's the idea of that's really cool to me. Um, and so we kind of started working on it preliminarily. Other things kept coming up because we obviously have to like pay the bills and stuff. Like the three of us went and like, uh, uh, made this, uh, MTV made for TV movie called Worst Prom Ever that took up like six or eight months of our lives. Uh, and you, guys were, like and you do like random writing gigs for like award shows. Yeah, I do. I, right? yeah, I, I've done random, a bunch of random writing gigs for award shows. I've written for like four and I'm coming up on my fifth, uh, award show this year actually. So I'm turning into like the Bruce Valanche of all comedy. Um, but, uh, what's that? Is that as bad? bad as people think it might be writing for award shows oh, i kind of dig it actually i actually have been lucky because like um uh the the production company that keeps bringing me on for it they're pretty cool and they get it and they hire like what have, funny, what have you written people. for at this point um i have written for the i wrote for the woodies that was how i started doing it because um donald from Derek was hosting it and he brought me on to write for it and then I wrote for the, um, and that was really fun because we got to like write like, you know, monologue for him and different bits and stuff like that. So that was cool. Um, and then I wrote for, um, the country music television, uh, awards. 
or so uh that was like this whole world that i'd never been exposed to and everyone when i tell them that they're always like do you know anything about country music and i'm like no but google does so it's <laughs> my like, producer wikipedia yeah exactly yeah, and yeah. also like because just like anybody else they want to have the same celebrities that everybody else wants to have access to like sometimes you're writing for country music people but other times it was just writing for like general celebrities and whatever um and sometimes it's like you write like the get to write the cool alt comedy interesting thing that you actually think is funny and it actually kind of gets through and you're like oh sweet and then other times just like in any sort of process of trying to make this huge show happen what ends up getting on screen sometimes is the more like watered down approved by all the talent version of everything i only bring this up because like the uh the emmys aired a couple nights Mm. ago and people were maligning it on twitter of course as always but like i was thinking about it and i looked at the writers at the end i don't know anyone on there but carol leifer Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really i didn't think it was a real cutting edge comedy staff in that show but You'd gotta, th- you, you'd, you'd have to think that, like, the writers aren't trying to make it bad on purpose. Well, the thing so, about, yeah. I, I mean, the, and then I, so, and then I just recently, most recently wrote for, like, the VMAs. The okay, MTV yeah, yeah. VMAs. Huge, and, yeah. um, and I honestly thought I was like, th- not just to be like a company man, but like a lot of the shit that they did in that show, I was like, this is like cool. And we got to do like, and we got to do the, we got to do some like sketch videos in there that I thought were like really funny. And it was like, we got to have Rick Ross like painting a painting and like, you know what I mean? Like weird shit. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, and it was the highest viewed show in MTV history. That's so it's awesome. like more people than have ever watched MTV got to watch Rick Ross in a room painting a landscape painting. <laughs> happy trees, happy trees. So that's got to make you happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, super totally. happy. Yeah. Um, so it's and, been a good experience. Yeah, totally. Well, and it's like just like you have to pay the bills in some way. And I'm a big like fan of like old fashioned show business. And it is kind of like in like to do the VMAs, I got to go up to like Cloris Leachman's hotel room and like brief her on this text and tell her what all these Jersey short terms mean. That's awesome. So it's dude. like you. It is kind of the closest thing that you can in the modern day like world of uh, of show business to having a very old fashioned showbiz like all sitting around in a writer's room like we need to come up with a a bit two handed patter for uh you know Sid Caesar and John F Kennedy I don't we got, you know we got I mean? this Carrie Underwood kid yeah, yeah exactly yeah, like yeah. It, it is very kind of old fashioned in, like a cool way so you have and you're to... kind of like a comedy gun for hire which is exactly cool. I mean I like it there is always like there. People can get in comedy, get super duper precious, but that's almost always the worst thing for comedy because comedy is about like generating a, in a way, in ways about generating a ton of material and then being very merciless with yourself and going, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. Wait, this actually works. Okay, cool. And just deleting everything else. And it's that skill of being able to learn to delete the other shit. Exactly. Really, and yeah, so yeah. it's like they'll like on the VMAs, it was like our head writer, Dara, who is this cool, like badass, uh, woman. She would like be, we'd all be sitting in a room. It was like me and two other guys, Jonah Ray and Sean O'Connor, these other two comics. Jonah Ray from Nerdist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and she'd be like, okay, we need a bit for, like, for example, this is not a real thing, but like, we need a bit for fucking Nick Nolte and Akira Kurosawa. And we'd be like, okay, cool. All right. And we'd all just like, you hear us just typing, 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 typing. And we'd send her like, you know, I'll send her some idea in an email and or some like little quick like script and because they're only a page long like you write them super fast and then she'd be like all right cool and she'd like send them off and then like in an hour later it'd be like akira kurosawa's out now it's nick nolte and fucking john wilkes booth and so we sit there and you you know what i mean like (laughs) that's a bummer because you had me going on nolte and i know i know i know i was so excited for it too but um but no but it is like this kind of cool like bullpen feeling you know like and if you have to make a living doing creative stuff which we all want to do it's like it's 
there are way worse ways to do it. That's it's like pretty fun. To, I used to think all comedy writing was like that. Like used to, like I used to think like, oh, the writers on Simpsons and SNL just sit in a room and they're funny together. Yeah. But then I found out, oh no, you actually have to physically fucking write stuff mm-hmm. on your own, and that's the bummer part. Like, yeah. What you got to do is the cool misconception that I thought as a kid. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And you don't get me wrong. Like there jokes. are <laughs> writers' rooms. Like my friend Dan Greger, who I was talking about, who got us that first show at Hammercats. Like he and his writing partner Doug write for How I Met Your Mother. Now, um, like my roommate. Um, from Derek with his writing partner Sean Clements they write for a show called Alan Gregory that's going to come on in the fall the Jonah, Jonah Hill, Hill show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my friend Megan writes for Community like she just finished her like third episode of Community that she's ever written Megan Anram Megan Gantz oh okay um, and she was uh, although Megan Anram it's funny you mentioned the Emmys I think she wrote for that as well and yeah that's I can funny. attest like she definitely isn't sitting there like let's make this yeah, bad yeah she's it's hilarious like, she's super yeah, funny yeah, yeah. Um, so but yeah so it's like but these people do sit in sometimes they're in the writer's room pitching around and like we need to crack this we need to break this story but then when they finish that then it's like yeah one writer does have to go off and like write the episode and then granted there's numerous rounds of punch-ups after that and various people taking passes at it in the whole room and and all kinds of stuff but like you know there is that there's always that moment in writing where you do have to sit down by yourself and like stare at a blank screen that's like the worst and speaking of that uh in adapting the film so have you written the screenplay yet um, we have, we basically, so me and Dan and Maggie wrote the screenplay over a period of, I would say like three or four months. Um, and then we, uh, which was a really cool, fun process because there were times with the book where I was like, oh yeah. And there's this cool thematic thing that I never really noticed about it before that we can sort of draw out in the movie. And then there's other things where you're like, ah, shit, like it's obviously a, you know, 90 page script. So we have to cut X, Y, and Z thing yeah. and nuance that I really, really liked. Um, and then there's also times where Maggie or Dan would be like, what is that? Why is this happen? And th- then th- this happens later. And then I'd realize like, oh, this was just some huge oversight that I made in the <laughs> writing process. And I'd be like, ah, never mind. That, Nothing made, it to see to, that made it to print. So <laughs> it's cool. So it's like, cause you can honestly like go back and like fix problems that you had that you never quite noticed before. That's or awesome. you like, where you just paved over your own laziness. Um, so that was really cool and satisfying. And then, yeah, and then we finished it. Um, and right now we're just in the process of like shopping it around to studios. And it's like this interesting place because it's, um, it's a really small movie in a lot of ways. Like the two leads are like these like 15, 16 year old kids and you can't fucking cast Ryan Reynolds as one of those kids. Exactly. Um, and, but by the same token, it does and not to, spoil it too much but like by the end of the book and by the end of the movie it does get into some pretty heavy like cool sci-fi special effects it opens up from what i've heard like yeah Yeah, yeah. exactly exactly so um so both of those things are really important about it just like for us when we were doing mystery team it was like the thing that we always heard at sundance was like when people were like we're not going to buy this movie they were like well it's about these like g-rated super innocent characters but then there's all this r-rated stuff that they experience if it were just g-rated we would we could sell that if it were just r-rated we could sell that <laughs> but it's the two of those things and therefore we can't do it and we we're like yeah but that's what makes it good um so you're about to do that again yeah exactly and we know that that's what makes it good and like and thankfully like some people that we've talked to seem to also realize that that, that's what makes it good so right now we're kind of just in the process of figuring out like is there someone out there who will a who will you know like give us a little bit of dough to like actually make the movie and like partner with them but also is there ways that we ourselves as creative people can make it something that can be made for not a ton of money. I mean, it's certainly going to be a lot more than Mystery Team was made for, but then by the same token, like, it's not the sort of movie that can sustain being an $80 million movie because it's like the potential market for it while we know that it's out there and I think a lot of people are going to like it. 
um, we realize that at first blush, like it might, it, it's just not the most. But that's smart, though. You know who you're making. You know who you're making it for, totally, which totally. is which is what every everything in entertainment is turning to. Yeah, nowadays. Totally, you don't totally. have to go four quadrant ever. ever you know what I mean? Right. Unless you're James Cameron. Like, mm. Yeah, yeah. So that that's awesome, dude. And I, we, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Yeah, updates. I'm excited about it. Um, now you perform. Would you say? Uh, well, you had a show at Mag- called Magic Bag that yep. ran at the Smart Castle for mm. a while, which was basically a, a stand up uh, showcase. Would you call it? I would just call it a stand-up show. Yeah, me and Eliza host. I used to um, call it showcase. Yeah, well, showcase. Why. I feel like has a weird connotation where like it's like you know, like there's like yeah. an agent in the back that you're kind of like being like, please sign me. Um, which uh, so every tweet I ever made regarding Magic Bag was wrong. No, no not really. No, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, that's why they. That's why the crowd was all agents. No, yeah, right. right? <laughs> um, no, but um, it's the so only it's a stand-up all show. Asian, me and, not uh, Asian. Uh, yeah. Me and Eliza host it. Um, and so we'll come out. We do banter. Then we bring up like four or five or six stand-ups. Um, some of LA's hottest young talent. But you've had uh, huge, you've had really awesome stand-ups. I mean. We do. I mean, like, uh, thankfully, like, it's the sort of thing where it's like if you have been because uh, I haven't been in comedy in life terms really that long. I've been doing it probably like eight years now i would say but just in coming up through ucb coming up in new york then moving out here and coming up through la thankfully a lot of my friends have turned into really awesome comedians so it's like we have a pool of people that we draw from and then also in doing other shows around town it's like you meet other stand-ups and you're always like oh there's tons of awesome people and everybody wants to do shows and so thankfully we we yeah we get really good lineups um and Eliza and I also do a stand-up set each at, at every given show that allows us to kind of like develop material and stuff like that. And speaking of, of developing material, what an awesome segue, dude! Yeah, I, like, look I at would you, man. You're killing you it on right segues. Now. Um, I got the chance when during a magic bag one night. Uh, when I I, I forget the, the how you set it up, but you were like, "Hey, I don't really want to do uh my usual jokes tonight." You're like, "I got this concept I kind of want to try out," and you just started telling stories. About past experiences with girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And I think you did like maybe 30, 35 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. I still have the recording. I'm listening yeah. back to it too. Right. Of just, of, I think it was three girls you talked about. Yeah. Well, actually it was like, basically, yeah, totally. Well, it was, um, I knew that I, I, I basically like, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think I like three or four years ago when I was still in New York, a friend of mine, Ben, asked me to do this like uh show that he was putting together just about people's romantic traumas. And it was more of a reading thing. And so I wrote like half of this story that was kind of my like I viewed as my like romantic origin story about like really liking this girl in sixth grade and like giving her a note and her being like flat, like no. Ignoring um, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um so I remember because it was a reading, so I was like, I'm gonna read this like story, because that was the thing that I felt most comfortable doing. I wrote like half of it then i was like really late for the show and i was like shit okay so i went to the show read the first part of the story that i'd actually finished and then after a point i was like and i didn't finish the story so i'm just going to tell you guys the rest of it and then in the telling of it like i thought like the jokes and the kind of writerly things that i did in the first part were funny but the most fun part was just the actual incidents and the actual acting it out of it and the actual like relating to people in the and telling reliving of, these, like, of it on exactly stage. exactly yeah, yeah. and like in telling these stories um and so i told i kept telling that story at various like shows and it got continued to get less writery and more storytellery if that makes any sense and then um i had gotten asked to do a couple shows here in la there was there's a really great show called public school that's a storytelling show that's at a place called m bar um and i'd gotten asked to do that a couple times and uh my friend margo's show stripped stories and basically just these like different storytelling venues and so between the the, those shows and between also doing magic bag, starting to do magic bag when we were back when we were doing it at Smodcastle, I had developed like, you know, 
three basically stories that I really liked that were really well developed about these traumatic experiences with girls, be they girlfriends or just like dating girls or like that one girl back in sixth grade. And so I was like, oh, I think I have enough material for like, you know, an hour long like show. And again, Eliza was there. She was like, and she was like, oh, this is how you should kind of structure. It. And she had this one idea for how I could put them together. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. She was and your one man show again, sponsor. Yeah, too. one, one yeah. man show sponsor. Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then there was this one night coming up at, um, Magic Bag where we didn't have anybody booked. It was still really early in like the life of the show. And I was like, is it okay if I just do my like three like stories at that show? And we just, Eliza's going to come out, do a set and I'll just do it. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and because we didn't have anybody booked, it just worked out. And like four people showed up because like I said, it was super early in the run, but like, uh, you were there and like Matt, Matt from Cruz the theater was, was there. there yeah. yeah. Um, and I got a really good recording out of it because obviously that's what this mod castle was kind of built to do. Um, and it made me go, even though there were like four people there, I was like, I really like doing this, A. And B, I think, you know, this is definitely a show. So I'm going to keep doing it. And unfortunately, I didn't really get it. Ch- I did it again in March in New York. And then I haven't had a chance to do it until very recently here in L.A. But over the summer, I was kind of developing the stories and doing them at Magic Bag a bunch, kind of polishing them and and getting them in good shape. And so, yeah, I just recently did the show this past Sunday night. And I'm hoping to do it again in October or November. I haven't quite figured out exactly what. That's awesome. But. And you did, you did it at UCB. The show is called DC Peers and is Bad at Girls. Correct. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, I did it at UCB and it's really fun. I mean, like it is, it isn't like a one man show in terms of it being like, there being like, I'm doing like lots of different characters. You don't walk around. So an, I feel like there's a lot of walking around in one man. Yeah, shows. yeah, totally. Totally. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah and I'm not I'm, so much physicality. I'm not resistant to that. And I do a little bit, but it's like, mostly it's just me and a microphone and like talking to the audience. And it is like funny. I'm like very happy about that. Um, but then there's like poignant times where you bring it down a little bit and talk about truths. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I don't know exactly what I want to do with it yet. Um, a in terms lot of, of maybe filming it or. Yeah, I definitely want to do something with it. I want more people to be able to see it and I want to do more shows like it. Like I really want to do a show. I actually talked a little bit about it. I, I did a Ken Plume's podcast a couple weeks ago. We ended up talking about this one sort of still my like central big, like longest relationship still to this day, which was like 18 months. And it was my, my girlfriend in like high school. Um, it was a very big kind of traumatic experience on both our parts. And so I want to do the next show, um, all about that. Just that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cause it, there was a whole, dude, whole saga. Um, and so, yeah, I want to keep doing these shows and I, there's not really like a whole lot of precedent for just somebody not doing a stand up hour, but just doing like an hour of like stories. And it is like you said, like it's only three stories, but I feel like they sustain the, the hour. Um, and yeah, I don't know exactly what I want to do with it yet, but you know, people should definitely come check it out if they're in LA and I'm, so I'm going to help you do it in New York as doing well. Doing it again in October in LA probably? Probably uh, October. It's either going to be in a couple weeks or it's going to be not until November. I haven't quite figured it out yet. Right on. But. And, um, Magic Bag is still going. Magic Bag still goes. It's every Saturday night at 10 p.m. at a place called um, the Underground Annex, which is on 1308 North Wilton at like Wilton and Fountain in Hollywood. And it's five bucks and awesome, great comics and whatever. Um, and then there's a show at eight, which is called the Anytime Show, which uh, my friend Dominic Turkis does, uh, who's also in Derek. Yeah, well, uh, I've also had like a... Dom on this show, and mm-hmm. we had Dom had a show. Dom started that at the Smodcraft yeah. Anytime Show, which is a really fun. He's out on like Paul F. Tompkins and Jesse. Yeah, Thorne yeah, yeah. And, it's a really, really good show, and it's a podcast as well, so people can hear it. But you can go see it live 
uh, at eight, and then if you pay five bucks to get into that show, you can stay for our show for free. Double show, and that's yeah. every Saturday. Night? Every Saturday, yeah. awesome, dude. Now uh, on IMD being you, now um, people might know you from you did a few episodes of Community, mm-hmm. at, at, um, where you played the improv group leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played uh, or one of the guys in the improv one group. One of the guys, anyway. the yeah. Group, my yeah. character's name was Mark Malo, uh, and uh, he uh, don't know much about him yet, uh, but uh, he's a big pretentious asshole in my mind. No, um, so you haven't explored the character. Not really. Yet. Well, he also, he's very like extra into extracurricular activities because he also worked at the newspaper in another episode. Um, and then there was an episode where me and Dan and Maggie were playing, and Dominic were playing members of the, uh, uh, the Greendale, um, the Goofaws. Yeah, right? the Greendale Goofaws. <laughs> uh, and they're like the short form improv group and we were pitching Chevy Chase jokes because he was going to go to this Mystery Science Theater 3000 style, like move, making fun of movies night. And he didn't want to just like riff like everyone else's. He's like, I'm going to get like the best jokes. He wanted ringers to write him. Yeah, jokes. exactly. Uh, are, exactly. Um, any chance of you return the character returning? Uh, theoretically, I mean, like, um, it would love to be used. Like, we have really good, like, you know, sort of a familial feeling with the people on that show. Like, everybody and Derek, um, and Dan is actually going to be directing an episode coming oh, up, awesome. starting in November. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And Dan also directed for those who don't know, maybe he did the uh, Freaks and Geeks video for Childish mm-hmm. Gambino, which was yep. awesome. Yeah, 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 totally. Um. And, uh, yeah, so, like, like it's weird with the Derek thing because people, I'll get the occasional email or, like, Facebook comment. People are like, dude, why did Derek fucking break up, man? And it's like, we're not broken up. We just haven't done anything in, like, thing. three years. But, like, we continue to work together in collaborations. Like, stuff yeah, together, exactly. Right? And, like, me and Donald and Dominic are in this show called Shitty Jobs. It's, like, an improv show that's on Sunday nights at UCB. So, it's, like, we're still out there doing stuff. I'm doing this stuff with me and Dan and Maggie. Like, I wrote a movie with Donald. Uh, Dominic's writing a movie with Donald. Like, you know, like, so we're still... trading off. Yeah, right? we all... And, like, yeah, exactly. Like, You're just not touring right now. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, like, the, the reason that we haven't gone out and made another Derek movie yet is making, like, the first Derek movie was, like, super duper hard and so like when we and also like it set a certain but i think it's like good so it set like a certain where we set a certain standard for ourselves where it's like if we go and make something again like we want it to be at least that good if not better totally. just like when we go on to make more internet videos we don't just want to like sit down and bang one out about like two dudes sitting on a couch I'm, doing bong rips. i'm sure a lot hey man what no, I'm, I'm saying, saying is, is every, that, <laughs> uh, I'm sure a lot of people are like, where's Mystery Team 2? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right off the bat. But what you guys, it took a long time, a yeah. lot of money. And right. like, you want to make sure the next one you guys do is, is something you're Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's right? like, we kind of never viewed doing Derek stuff um, as our like meal ticket. We were always like, this is this place where we're not writing bits for you know nick nolte and akira kurosawa it's not mercenary it's like absolutely our sense of humor absolutely what this collaboration is exactly what we want to do we never want to have like it's this derek thing oh also we're getting a bunch of notes from someone we thankfully have never had to do that um and so we wanted to be able to do that for the rest of our lives because we're all like best friends and the reason that we don't want to have anything where it's like we're also having to pay all of our bills off of it because that's when you get into like crappy like kids in the hall can't do anything for 10 years it seems like they're it's, yelling at it's each the other, other stuff you guys do that will f- always feed derek though yeah exactly it's a fun unfiltered thing to go back totally to, and then it's always. also like yeah. it's kind of really helped just in terms of like if i want to get booked on a show i can be like oh i'm from this thing derek that you may have heard of and some people have so it's like this nice like little foot in the door thing and i'm like because we never did anything for money any money at all uh 
it's very like untarnished in terms of people don't have to view our videos like oh and then there was that period where they did tons of shitty shit for a long time you guys are like python except you skipped like the whole 15 year career thing and you're like right. we made videos for a cool a few years and then we just live off the cash nah yeah yeah god no yeah no, that'd be no, amazing no. though um uh but there is the nice like we do have a good reputation so 100 percent. like Derek is, nice. is, is, is a troop dude like it's yeah yeah absolutely so that's exciting very cool man and also in imd being you i noticed you were do you're it. in a film coming up called the to-do list yes it's actually uh, uh i've been very specifically instructed to tell you it's called the hand job okay because it, it was it was originally the hand job so it's this movie written by uh maggie carey who's a very funny like writer director um and starring aubrey plaza of parks and rec uh and mystery team and, and, yeah, yeah. yeah um and so um it's about this girl who really wants to like um she's super honor studenty in high school and she like about everything and she's a valedictorian but because of that she never had the time to like have sex or figure any of that stuff out and so in going to college she realizes i really want to be good at that stuff because i want to impress people at college and not be thought of as like a baby and so she in a very honor studenty way takes the summer before college to like check off this list of Learn like things that she wants to do yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um so it's a super funny movie it's got an awesome uh cast um and uh it is called the hand job apparently they wanted to call it the to-do list in production because they were shooting like schools and things and you can't be like hey we're at your elementary school let's call this thing uh, we had that on on the movie yeah. cop out was originally called a couple of dicks yeah when we I love that title it, right it was a couple of cops because right we couldn't say the word dicks in front of like yeah. a church or something right yeah, yeah but a couple of dicks was a great title no totally yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was called the to-do list and then it's they really the yeah job. like and it is called the hand job yeah. once again now the only thing that confused me about is it said 2013 is there like extensive cgi or something like- <laughs> yeah aubrey nobody knows this. aubrey's actually a navi it takes hours <laughs> and hours de- and hours yeah, and they the have to opposite de- of that exactly she's a navi in a motion capture <laughs> suit and then they just make her look they like make aubrey her a human yeah god that's great that's why parks uh, and rec's budget so high oh, they're never so sure huge. if it'll come back yeah exactly uh, um Rob uh, i would imagine that it's been listed as being for 2013 i i you know like i i don't know actually everything takes a really this long time release, yeah but yeah yeah Anything else coming up that we don't know about? Um, yeah, I'm gonna done? keep. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the one person show again in LA. I want to do it in New York as well. Um, Magic bag still goes. Uh, shitty jobs still goes. Uh, shitty jobs at UCB. Magic, so Magic bag, bag is Saturday night. Yeah. Um, shitty jobs is Sunday night. Shitty jobs Sunday night. Yeah. People can follow me at, at on Twitter at uh, at DC Pearson. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, and I like, update my website with short stories and poems and shit uh, semi periodically. Um, and yeah, and then yeah, the book, uh, and I'm really happy you're doing the book. Oh yeah, we're all, exciting. we're all getting up on the book club. Um, we'll, we'll report back to you. Yeah, dude. totally. And yeah, I would love yeah. to maybe do like, after you get like, if you get some responses, like I would come back and do like a break it down. Like, yeah, we'll go, we'll go more in depth with and things. Yeah, I would love yeah, that. That'd yeah. Be great. We'll, we'll do like a real meet the author type thing. See, we're getting fancy here, man. Um, but until then, dude, I appreciate you. For dude, thank you for having book. me. Thank you for petting my dog. Oh, of course. An and she felt like, uh, for those of you listening at home, yeah, she, uh, she kind of passed out for the past like half an hour. She's yeah. been just chilling on my lap. He turned her into adorable. a she. It's a it's a boy. There's oh a pe- shit! There's a I'm penis sorry. poking on your leg. It's all right. Oh, we'll notice. There you right. go. Uh, no, but dude, DC, thank you so much, man. And everyone, uh, follow DC online, and we look forward to speaking to him soon. And everyone, go out there by the boy who couldn't sleep and never had to, and let's chat about it, kids. Until next time, I'm bagged. I'm not bagged and boarded. I'm Matt Cohen. It's bagged and boarded. It's been real. What? <laughs> that was really fun. Bagged and boarded. Live. 
Yep, and I'm back. What's going on, folks? Big thanks to Mr. DC Pearson for uh, doing a repeat appearance on the show. Good times as always. One smart and funny dude. Uh, as we said before, go out there and get the boy who couldn't sleep and didn't have to. We're going to do a little book club thing at cameltoadproductions.com. Uh, again, go out and check out Mystery Team if you haven't seen it. Follow DC on Twitter at DC Pearson. And Magic Bag is now being performed every Saturday in Hollywood at the Underground Annex, which is at uh, 1314 Wilton Place. And every Sunday, DC's doing shitty jobs over at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on Bronson. Now, if you want to follow me on Twitter, check me out at Cameltoad, C-A-M-E-L-T-O-A-D. Check out cameltoadproductions.com. Like I said, sign up for the board and let's get this book club going. As always, please listen to all the other Smodcast Network podcasts, Sir shows, and Fred Entertainment shows. If you're in the Los Angeles area or anywhere in the world, go to goldenapplecomics.com. But if you're in L.A., come on by the store. Lots of cool stuff planned. Lots of great stuff coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, that's about it. Uh, Till next time, motherfuckers, keep your heads greasy and your eyes to the sky. I don't know either. Bye. Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com.